Happy New Year, everybody. Hey, Cat Jeff. Today's guest is Stephanie Villavicencio from Tits Deep for Breast Cancer. And Tits Deep is an organization that is fundraising for women under 40 who don't have access to early detection treatment. And that's because current medical protocols are for mammograms and screenings for women over 40. And Stephanie started Tits Deep because a few years ago, she lost her friend Nadine, who was just 33 years old when she succumbed to breast cancer. And uh, sadly enough, uh, Stephanie's mom passed away when Stephanie was very, very young. And her mom was very young from breast cancer. So I ask if you or someone you know is going through breast cancer, please, please, please share this episode and there's a whole network of uh, people through Tits Deep, women that can offer support and advice and outreach. And uh, on my website, uh, my clothing company, thewarmfront.com, I'm also uh, doing a buy one, give one, where anybody that buys one, I set aside funds to donate a chest warmer to a woman going through breast cancer. So hopefully she can get out on the bike or on the ski slopes and just enjoy a degree of normalcy out there. And I'm also selling Stephanie's Tits Deep uh, stickers. So you can get those and slap them on your skis or your helmet or your water bottle and just get the conversation started and just let women know that they're not alone in this and that there's, there's help and there's support out there. And with that, Please enjoy this conversation with Stephanie Villavicencio and the one big beautiful accident that is tits deep for breast cancer. I don't know I'm making this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I need to do this all day. The Matt Sodnicker Podcast. Yeah, so I wanted to start the conversation just by uh, you had an Instagram post a few weeks ago about being uh, a younger woman and the challenges you had getting preventative care, even with uh, breast cancer in your family and wanted to uh, start with that. Yeah, there always seems to be extra steps in trying to schedule my mammogram screenings, which for me are preventative because of my family history. And in this specific um, circumstance, it was a matter of the people on the other end of the phone either misinforming me and had I not known from previous years trying to schedule my appointments, listening to them and either giving up or not trying harder, but instead being able to say, hey, actually, these are the things I know and you need to give me what I'm asking for. Um, and one of the one of the things which was ridiculous was my receptionist at my gynecology office um, telling me that um, 
Oh no, I'm mixing it up. Not the gynecology office. The oh yeah, it was. Um, she said that first I needed a appointment with my gyno before they could write me a referral for my mammogram. And being under forty, you cannot get a mammogram without a referral. <laughs> you can't just call <laughs> up and say, "Hey, I have family history. I'd like to schedule my mammo." And I told her, I was like, no, the last two years that I've seen uh, the doctor, they didn't need me to come in first. You guys just sent over the referral. And she just said, oh, okay. You know, so <laughs> she, she was wrong and, you know, tried to steer me around and give me additional steps. And luckily I knew what they had done for me in the past, you know, to bypass that. And then at the uh, the diagnostic center, they aren't fully aware of different insurance plans. And it would be helpful if they were, because it would have saved me the extra 30 minutes of calling my insurance company. Because my insurance company gives me um, coverage for the calendar year, not 365 days plus one like other companies do. <laughs> of and course so they were, Yeah, they weren't going to let me schedule my mammogram because it was within 365 days. So I had to call my insurance and they said, no, no, you're good. If you haven't used your complimentary mammogram um, coverage, then you're free to use it whenever you want in the year 2023. And so I kind of had to drill that into the diagnostic center to get them to schedule me and there's kind of this back and forth for me to get my appointments penciled in this in no way compares but i'm still trying to find a primary care physician for my new health plan and the insurance company sends me a list which last time i looked it looked like it was a photo of a paper scan of like something that fell on the floor and i called three of these people and two of the numbers weren't even working anymore and one was like oh no we're not taking new patients and this is just for pcp and um i can't imagine the frustration you're going through trying to get something where it's so very important to you in your family history and your health care trying to get that dialed in. I mean, <laughs> was it, you said like you were doing this for five hours on your Instagram post, something like that? No, it was just say like an hour worth of trying to get my appointments booked, being put on hold and then hanging up because sometimes you get the feeling they forgot about you. After X <laughs> amount of time. Um, and then it makes me think if this is my third or fourth year, you know, practicing getting my screenings, how hard is it for women in my situation who have yet to try? And then how much harder is it for women without family history who actually have a concern and it's critical that they get these screenings and treatments? What do you think the, the friction is there? Is it, um, <clears throat> my first guess would be cost, but why do you think it's so hard to get this done for you? I think the biggest thing is the uh, national guidelines that state that I believe they've changed it from 50 to 40. This was a recent um, 
change. Um, but they say women under 40 basically don't need to get screened and don't need to worry about breast cancer screenings until a certain age. And I think when everyone's told that and you can't just call and get what you need, that's where all that friction comes from. And you know from quite um, personal experience that you do need to worry about this under 40. Oh, yeah. Since starting Tits Deep for Breast Cancer, it's become extremely apparent how many people under 40 are affected and diagnosed and some of whom do not survive their diagnosis. Well, this might be a good time to talk about uh, Nadine, right? She was the origin and the flashpoint for Tits Deep. And uh, let's talk about her a little bit and her role in this. Yeah, so Nadine was one of my best friends, and she lived here in Aspen. We both taught snowboarding at Buttermilk Mountain here in Aspen. And in June of 2020, she was diagnosed with stage 3 triple negative breast cancer. Triple negative is extremely hard to treat. Um, And she was 31 years old. And after going through 16 rounds of chemo and a double mastectomy, which once she had her double mastectomy, her oncologist had cleared her of any um, signs of cancer. And that was in March of 2021. And then come November of that same year, she started experiencing pain in certain parts of her body and was in and out of the ER and um, doctor's appointments and scans, and they didn't catch it, which was very frustrating. And then by March of 2022, her cancer was so aggressive that it took her life. It had spread, you know, well beyond the breast into her hip, her left arm, her lungs, and um, in her spine. And she didn't have family history, and she did share with me that her primary care doctor randomly decided to uh, write her referrals for mammograms, which is a really unique case because I haven't heard of anyone else having that experience, and that was the reason she found her tumor in the first place. Um, So it was found at stage three. But imagine if she wasn't being given that opportunity, you know, how much less of a lifespan she would have had. And and that's where Tits Deep started was to help her and help other women in this situation, right? Yeah. Well, it was originally to help her. She had expressed um, a lot of stress around surmounting medical bills and, of course, the inability to work and cover her costs of living. And the immediate thing that I thought I could do was raise some funds for her. And I spent many months thinking of a clever and witty um, catchphrase. And just, I mean, it's one of the best light bulb moments I've ever had. But um, 
<laughs> I was driving home from the grocery store. I remember the sun setting over Snowmass Village. And I was like, oh my God, tits deep. And it's so funny that it took me so long to think of that term because as a snowboarder living in a ski and snowboard town, it's such a common term that we say when it's a big powder day. You just say, like, sweet, it's a tits deep powder. Even if it's not actually tits deep and it's just an epic deep powder day, you say it. And Nadine and I were the best of powder day buddies. She'd be the first person I called. And usually the only person I'd ride with on a pow day. As you know, no friends on a pow day. Um, oh, that's right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so it was just really fitting. And um, I didn't tell anybody what I was up to. I just consulted in my friend who's an artist and graphic designer and told her my um, graphic concept. And when she sent it back to me, she recommend I do stickers so I ordered a box of 250 stickers, and I did the math. I was like, if I sell these for $5 times 250, that's around $1,250. I should be able to raise that, and that'll be the end of it. And I'll be really, really stoked that I helped my friend. And literally, I showed up to Buttermilk Mountain in my snowboard instructor uniform with perfect pockets for those stickers. I literally felt like a drug dealer. <laughs> and I like whipped them out <laughs> and I just told people why I was selling them and for who. And it was really easy because that mountain mountain is very mom palm. We all know everybody. And literally from that day to day five of selling stickers, I'd sold out. But not only that, I, was, I had a running list of back orders of people who had sent me money and were not waiting on stickers. And so then I ordered another box and then I ordered another box, but instead it was a thousand stickers. And in less than two months, I had mailed stickers to, you know, countries like England and Australia and multiple territories in Canada and beyond. And we were able to bring in um, just over 11,000. But more than that, there was a big need for support. People were opening up to me and sharing how they've been affected. And that's kind of when I took the idea and ran with it and have continued to grow it since February 2021. <clears throat> That's amazing. And uh, I, I love that you didn't start necessarily with an end in mind, but you started with helping your friend. And I think with the most uh, pure intentions, people can sense that and not to make it like a, a business comment but it, that just resonates with folks and there's there's no way you could market that like in um, being very sensitive to think about nadine and your mom and everybody else but it's just cancer has touched everybody and just stepping up to do that to be a great friend that's um people connect with that That's awesome. Uh, how much of the, how much of that did Nadine see? If we started in February of 2021, she saw essentially the first full year of Titsy. That's great. Mm -hmm. 
Do you recall uh, the impact that that had on her? Well, when I showed up to her apartment after the first two months, um, and I was able to hand her cash and um, Venmo her the rest, she was just so stoked. Um, <laughs> it was just so cool to just, it was so casual, you know, like the most um, unglamorous thing, but she was just super grateful. and. Um, the month before she passed away, I had I had planned out a women's ski day, and it was a fundraiser to benefit our overall mission, so more women. But when I realized that Nadine needed more help because she was so sick, and there was really nothing that I could do, um, I thought that I would. Uh, donate everything raised from that single women's ski day to her. And I didn't tell her. I, I don't think I told anybody really. Um, that also felt really good. And that would have been like two and a half, half weeks before she passed away. So I imagine that mon money would have really, you know, more helped her partner than her. And I can't mm. really imagine the kind of position that he was in. So that also felt really big for me because when you're in a position where there's nothing you can do and you're asked to give that person space, but you can still um, donate a decent amount of money, it, feel, it feels really good. That's uh, <clears throat> such a touching story. I really appreciate you sharing it in that way. Um, it takes me back to... Uh, I'm quite a bit older than you are, but I lost my mom when I was 20 to this real aggressive cancer. And uh, you lost your mom when you were two. And I was just thinking about days in my life where um, I think I've crossed the threshold where I've been alive longer without her than I was with her. And just thinking about days where it was when my kids were born that I really, yeah, it was, it was the first mother's day. It was the first Christmas. It was always those firsts that were tough. And then it seemed out of the blue, there would be times where this would be really great to have her around. And, um, yeah. How, I guess the, maybe it's like an obvious question, but, what do you think was different about your life by because you never really knew her, right? You were two when when you grew up. What do you reflect on that at all? Yeah. Do you allow yourself that latitude to look that direction? Definitely. I feel very open to it, but also being two and not having those memories, which I just learned from my twin brother. He actually does have memories of her being sick and in a bed oh. with beepy things and you know iv tubes and so that's really fascinating because we were both there in the same room same age same exact moment and i don't have any recollection of any of it um and i think that plays a big part in coping because i don't have any deep seated um memories attached to those uh 
those really difficult days. So for me, it was living life differently than everybody else, but never really understanding the um, the extremity of what we went through until I found out that Nadine got diagnosed because she was 31, I was 30, and my mom passed away at 33. And so all of a sudden, I'm this grown woman getting close to the age that my mom was. And so I have this, for me, firsthand perspective of what, what it's like and how hard it would have been for my mom, for my dad, for my grandma, for my mom's friends, and of course, for me and my siblings. And that's, that's where my passion and drive to help Nadine came from. Um, but in terms of being raised without my mom, uh really it's quite resilient because it is such a impactful story but i can talk about it in a really empowering way because of the way that my grandmother who was her mother raised us it was cool robin's gone what do we do with the kids my father wasn't in a position mentally emotionally or financially to raise us full-time, single-handedly. So my grandmother actually adopted the three of us, became our legal guardian, um, brought us into her home, put us through school. She was really well off financially as a retiree, but when she started funding three little kids, she actually had to go back to work. (laughs) And when you're an adult and you make your own money, you realize how humbling that is. and we would see my father on the weekends, and he was a big part of our life and awesome dad. Um, and neither my dad or my grandma ever planted that seed of being the victim of our story. It was more like, let's survive and let's make this work. And your grandma is at times your mom and your dad. And yeah, it was a little different, but when we were there in those moments, it it didn't feel like we were this weird, unnucleated family. It just it was was what it was. Um, and nobody ever really talked about breast cancer or uh, my mom's passing. So when I was in my early 20s and had to really start thinking about early detection treatment, which was like pulling teeth for me, that's when I really had to uh, face that, which felt a little lonely because who do you relate to when you have two brothers and your grandma's gone and you have a dad, you know? So that I kind of had to figure out on my own with a little bit of help from certain uh, women in my life. I think that, uh, that acceptance that your, your dad and your grandma had helped cultivate is huge. Um, It was something I had carried forward as a, I like to say I was a know-it-all, perfect twenty-something, you know, idiot dude when my mom died, and I, for a while, I carried with it that, and my dad was really good about, um, you know, life is for the living. Let's not forget, but let's move on and and thrive as best we can. But I do remember, it took me a few years to get over this, but I felt that my life should be easy now because I've experienced this trauma of losing my mom. 
And I don't know if it was being, you know, young and dumb and entitled or just uh, thinking that um, I had experienced enough, but it, it took me a while to shake that and uh, get to a point where your, your, your new different family looked at things. And it, it's, um, it was a lot of therapy and it was a lot of perspective over those, those years, but just, um, yeah, that sounds like an amazing perspective that they both had to help you through this. Um, so tits deep, um, what are your plans for the future for this? Like if you could interview future Stephanie five years from now, (laughs) (laughs) what would, uh, what would you want her to tell you that this has become? Um, that it's become bigger than you could ever anticipate, um, that you shouldn't get caught up in the little things or get overwhelmed by things you haven't accomplished or things you're not doing. Because for me, I started it to help a friend. So really, Tits Deep is just one big, beautiful accident. And I kind of want to stay true in that I don't ever want to force anything with Tits Deep. I want it to be natural and I really want to make decisions that feel good even if it takes me 12 months to make the decision, even if it takes me 24 months and some things have taken me, you know, that long. Um and I would really like in a few years time to look back and hope that I've achieved my dream of doing a a tits deep winter tour where I go to different mountain towns in the west and do events or speaking engagements and pop-up shops and create more impact in communities beyond Aspen, which we are doing, but I'd love to see it at um, a higher level. And I would imagine and hope that I've met even more incredible women in the outdoor adventure space who I've networked with and can not only call a friend, but also an awesome partner or sponsor and really just building upon everything that I've built up to this point. I think that tour idea sounds phenomenal. I I think that would be, tell me more about that. When you, when you talk about that, what, what do you see that? How do you envision that? I envision road trips to the different mountain towns and setting up, you know, smaller scale seminars on awareness, education, and advocacy, where we're able to bring in local experts, pre-vivers, survivors, and young women affected by family history, um, where we can share our knowledge, information, and support to a crowd. I really love the concept of going to college campuses such as UC Boulder and MSU and connecting with the college crowds and different clubs that might resonate with Tits Deep. And I've been in conversation with a club called Backcountry Squatters, which is now national across many different universities. And um, also just getting people super stoked on Tits Deep, the brand, but also our mission, 
and you know kind of having that ripple effect if you share it with one person they're going to go out and they're going to share it. and if they put a sticker on their skis and sit next to the right person on the chairlift they might have this really impactful conversation and I actually just had um, somebody email me and that exact thing happened where the sticker on their skis created a little bit of discomfort but that's only because the person sitting next to her lost her sister to breast cancer at 30 and didn't quite know how to open up but the person with the sticker is a survivor and it created this really safe space for the both of them um and if i could pull it off along with the tour creating um partnerships so for example if i were to go to msu and find a local clinic such as bridger that could somehow get younger women to go to this clinic for their breast health support i think that could be really good for all the communities that i in theory would visit (laughs) (laughs) i asked that question um you know about the tour to get into more detail because um i'll look this up for you but i heard about this on i think it was debbie millman's podcast um and i'm blanking on the name but it's uh i'm gonna look it up because i want people to listen to it oh design matters with debbie millman and it was an exercise that she did when she was an undergrad and i hope it's her but i'll credit it to her but you write this down in explicit detail you just pick a point you know some years away and write down what time you got up, what you had for breakfast, where you're, you know, and all of these things. And, you know, whether it's goal planning or intention or, you know, I, I tease about manifesting sometimes, but, you know, visualization, whatever it can possibly be. I think once it can be seen in your mind, anybody's mind, then it exists. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like, was it Michelangelo that says, I'm just removing the bits that are not the sculpture. You're just doing that. And so it, it was it was fun to hear you start really articulating that vision. And I believe it. I'm all for the manifestation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um Cancer sucks. I lost a friend about three months ago that, um, you know, he'd been fighting for about two years and it's just, um, yeah, the, the feeling of helplessness. Cause I'm not a doctor. I don't know any of this stuff, but you know, I, I kind of saw my role as a, just a clown just to go entertain and, you know, break his balls occasionally and just, uh, you know, just try to establish some sense of normalcy. Yeah. It's just, it's rotten. And to be, I don't care what age you are, you're always too young. Mm-hmm. And for Nadine being 31 and your mom, and it's just, uh, it's just, uh, it's a terrible thing. I wish I was more profound, but I can't really <laughs> articulate it you know, any more than that. Yeah. It just sucks. Yeah. You know? Um, so 
when you're looking at the would you call it early stage or or like when you're talking about somebody in their 30s for breast cancer like what were some things you've learned about Nadine and your mom that um you communicate to younger women now um i would say be diligent learn your body so that if any changes do occur, occur you are aware and you can act upon it I would say to be your own best advocate because when doctors dismiss you and they don't take you seriously or they're misinforming you, you can stand up for yourself and fight for what you need, even if it takes you longer, even if it means going through multiple um, positions and not ignoring symptoms because I hear a lot that if a woman finds anything alarming they try to justify it by their youth and their health and Hmm. that can really set you back and it can make your symptoms more critical the longer you wait I think about that a lot too, being a amateur cyclist and um, somewhat of a runner and an athlete. Like I deal, you know, fat biker skiing every once in a while, but these things involve discomfort. You know, your legs start burning or, you know, whatever. And that's something I've had to remind myself is that, oh, pay attention to how long this particular sensation sticks around was this a was this a heavy volume week for being on the bike and skating or is this something that's hanging around and i've started a little um in my phone a little uh not injury log but just sort of like okay this is when i first noticed this and uh, if i'm still experiencing it in a little bit to track it down and, and see but yeah i think yeah because I don't think anybody really wants to know, but you have to know because you've, if you know, then you have more time. You have a better chance. I get the, I get the fear. Yeah. But yeah. Not ignoring the symptoms. Yeah. I actually wrote that down and I'm underlining it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a question somewhat out of ignorance, but, in your experience, do you feel that uh, female doctors are more receptive? Do you think that just because of the the shared um, biology and physiology that perhaps that might be um, more conducive to early detection and early mammograms? I would. Or have you, have you noticed? Well, I can't speak fully from experience because I've only had one women's health physician who's a male. Um, but from the stories I've heard of other women who've shared with me, a lot of the negative stories come from male doctors, but I think I recall also female doctors dismissing their patients. Um, Hmm. and then having, uh, the really amazing ability to connect with, um, physicians on a more personal level through Tidsteep who have become ambassadors or who have, you know, 
become comrades. They seem to be incredibly compassionate and supportive of their patients. So it's really hard to say because I'm sure that sometimes gender doesn't play a role in how the patient seeking medical attention is treated. I would hope not. And again, I had no frame of reference. And as I was asking that question, I was just thinking more in terms of uh, if I would give advice to my daughter. So I was just curious about your actual experience. Yeah, I'd, so. I'd be curious myself. I would, in the future, I would rather find a female physician for sure. Well, I love the the stickers. I'm going to place an order <laughs> after this because <laughs> it definitely it definitely fits my vibe and I think the yeah, I love the story of the uh like you you working on the problem of the name and then giving your brain space that it just landed like a feather on you and it was just perfect. Like I, I love stories like that. That's so cool. <laughs> Um, yeah. So what's, what's next on, uh, making the tour a reality? What's, what's your next big project you have going? Well, first I've got to reach out to my connections in different places. Um, I've recently emailed, uh, a friend who has a business in Denver to do a pop-up shop collaboration with, um, her business is hoo-ha and she does retro women's ski apparel and she is a breath of fresh air and she's been super supportive. Um, and then I need to reach out to my connections in Bozeman and potentially Tahoe. I don't want to spread myself too thin, but I also want to dream big. And then we also have a, a big local uh, event here in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is in the same valley as Aspen called Bhutan Festival. and. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. My friend Jenny founded it and we've had a couple of calls on, you know, incorporating Tits Deep into the festival beyond being a vendor, although being a vendor is the best ever and we will be there. Um, but just thinking of ways that we can really bring more light to Tits Deep and a couple of other things that aren't coming to mind, you know, some some more local events to Aspen and Colorado in the works. Uh, tell everybody about Bhutan because, oh, like I said, it... <laughs> well, we'll tell this is a... always about Bhutan. Jenny, you're <laughs> effing amazing. And Bhutan Festival is the world's largest female and femme ski festival. This will be its third year, and they're blowing it up. They're going to sell a lot more tickets, and it's basically a space for women and femme folk to come together to celebrate us and art and musicians and female-founded brands and to ski together and do a naked ski lap and really just bask in <laughs> how amazing it is to be surrounded by so many women on the snow in that way. 
I went to one of the film screenings last year and it was, she did such a good job with the production. And um, I, I actually made it very clear that, hey, you know, is, I'm a dude. You mind if I come to this? And I, I read the the ticket page multiple times and it, it was very welcoming. And the movie, I'll see if I can find a link and post it in the show notes. But the the movie was just um, the way that she produced it, that the it was not full frontal. There was these cool graphics over the, the private parts, I'll just say, but it just, it started fading into the background. And I remember towards the end of the movie, I thought, Oh, I wasn't even really thinking that (laughs) these women were naked. It was just seeing the smiles and the, the skiing and the camaraderie and the friendship. And um, it was so well done. Yeah, It's a fun story. So well done. (laughs) And in a way, I got to admit, I was somewhat, you know, envious of that experience because dudes would never do that. (laughs) Right. But um, just celebrating each other. I think that's what I took away from it was just the, the pure celebration and lifting each other up and uh, so many different body shapes and styles and just everybody having a blast it was one of those brilliant ideas and yeah i still every time i think about it i'm like oh how can i get involved in that and it's like mm, i don't know that i can but <laughs> financially maybe financially but yeah that is such i'm not surprised that you knew each other and if you didn't i was like you've hang up this and then go call her right now because it's such a good fit such a good fit cool well what else do you want to talk about this is this is your platform i'm enjoying this and i like your vision and your your uh approach to this what else is important? What else is important? Um, well, we're still really, even though it's been, it'll be three years in February, I would say Tits Deep is still in its infancy, even though at times we have reached goals that, you know, to me were somewhat unfathomable. Um, but, you know, you can't do everything all at once. And so I've really focused on the branding and the merchandise side of things because I've just had a lot of fun with it and I don't want to get burnt out or overwhelmed. But there are a couple of things that are at the forefront that I really want to tackle and I just haven't yet. And one is creating a platform where people can actually call themselves community members. And I do consider a lot of people community members but I really want to create that tangible space where people can sign up and be a part of a community so really figuring out how to build that online and you know what um, platform to use and hopefully that will elevate the amount of connections and support um, through people being able to network with more than just say the 17 people that come to a one-day event or the people who can only connect to me on Instagram because I'm the only one answering the DMs. And 
also um, being able to connect different founders or executive directors or board members or survivors or previvors or people who do podcasts in the breast cancer space to come together and see how they can collaborate beyond me, you know, remove me mm. and remove Tits Deep because there's room for everyone to come together and maybe they share a different vision that I can't or that I'm not interested in. Um, but it's really important. I love connecting people and I'd love to see the people that I'm talking to in the emails have the opportunity to also create together. Um, and then the biggest thing, which I'm still fundraising for, but don't have quite the ability or resources to accomplish yet, is a way to offer grants to women under 40 without access to early detection treatment. Um, so slowly but surely, but that's definitely one of the bigger goals of the mission. And um, I'm really glad that every day I work towards that. But it'll be really nice when people ask me and I get to say, yeah, like, go to this link on our website and apply here. Or, oh, you have a friend that can't afford their mammogram. Or you have a friend that simply won't pay for it um, because of the cost. Cool. Send them here and have them apply for the grant. And we'll do the best we can to help them attain access to their mammogram. In my mind, it's already happened. You just got to get yeah. there. It's just a question of when, because like I said, if you can define it, you can create it. And you've, you've done the hard part. You've named the problem. Mm -hmm. So um, I have no doubt that it's going to happen. And uh, it's just cool to meet and just be part of this journey yeah. with you. So awesome. Well, Stephanie, where can people get signed up and get engaged and uh, get tits deep in this effort? The website, which is titsdeepforbreastcancer.com. And you can always connect with us that way through the contact form. And at the bottom of the main page, putting your email into the newsletter to stay up to date with events and product launches, etc. The place where I'm the most active is Instagram, which is at Tits Deep for Breast Cancer. That's also the same name for the Facebook page. And I created a TikTok, which I haven't put too much attention on, which is also at Tits Deep for Breast Cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have a dance worked uh, out yet yeah, for TikTok? So <laughs> yeah, I just, it's so much work. I just have to pick one social media platform and put all my efforts into that <laughs> yeah i never figured out snapchat and i look at tiktok and i was like you know i just i'm gonna let let those two go <laughs> i'll work on instagram well stephanie this has been great i'm so happy we finally connected and uh i look forward to supporting what you're doing as best i can and to anybody listening, go grab some stickers and put them on your skis, put them on your helmet, put them on your car, and uh, don't ignore those symptoms. Get out and uh, make people aware. It might save a life. Thank you, Matt. It's been really awesome being on your podcast and chatting with you. Yeah, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. 
Episodes of this podcast are produced by me, Matt Sodnikar. Big thanks to Cole Weinman for the engineering of the intro. And thanks to Randy Weafe for Retro Funk, our theme music. And hey, I've got two requests for you. If you like this show, please share it with somebody, either through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and show them how to listen to a podcast if they've never done it. And I know you know somebody out there that would be a fantastic guest. And please shoot me a note on Instagram at the Matt Sodcast. And let's talk to them. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon.